Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. We're here on episode 277 of the main show this week, talking a fairly monstrously huge movie, Janine, winner of eight Academy Awards for 1953, including the big one and a few other of the big ones as well. I've got a whole list. We'll get into all that very shortly. But it is what I think a movie that maybe epitomizes what the general public think of when they think old Hollywood movie. And that's From Here to Eternity from 1953. I'm very excited to be getting into this one today, Janine, because every so often we will do one of these stunningly well-known movies. We like our little movies. We like our, you know, a little bit on the side, a little bit out there, a little bit perhaps partially forgotten movies. Yeah, Discovery. I don't think this one falls into any of that. No, I mean, I will say that I think well-known to generally, I think, because of one particular scene. Definitely, Um, yes. I think this film is probably lauded to the general population and public of people who watch movies as maybe a a big romantic film because of this particular scene. And that's what people really know of it. That's what I really only knew of it um, to the point where I had a bit of confusion (laughs) on last week. A bit of confusion. (laughs) Yes. um, And I'll blame it on Dawson's Creek. I had talked about wanting to watch more Rock Hudson movies and, you know, Rock Hudson famously is, you know, known for, I mean, among other things, being somebody who had to hide his homosexuality in, in this era of time. Yes. Um, and so for whatever reason, I think it was after watching an episode of Dawson's Creek that does feature the famous kiss in this movie um and the character of Dawson wanting to conjure that same type of style of kiss with his first kiss and Joey making a comment about saying that you know you're in living in a fantasy land trying to conjure a kiss like this because the guy's gay and the girl's bored and it's all just like celluloid propaganda so when she said that it had me thinking that oh is that actor Rock Hudson because she's alluding to the fact that you know, this is an actor who is really gay in real life. So that kind of, and kissing a woman. So very much is kind of this, you know, fantasized fake romance. So that's what always just put it in my head because you you can't really see who the person is. And I never really like looked into this movie. I just seen this scene a billion times. So I always just assumed because of that line from Joey in Dawson's Creek that this actor was Rock Hudson. So when I brought up wanting to watch a Rock Hudson movie, it was because I had seen this scene pop up in other movies a bunch around that time on top of the fact that I had heard a lot of talk and buzz about Kelly Clarkson having a song called Rock Hudson. So I think okay, I, well, I mean, I, mean, I just want to clarify really. my whole yeah. misinterpretation of things. So then when we did watch this movie and I'm like, oh, that was Burt Lancaster. Don't. So. Who we also, <laughs> by the way, really like. But it's strange, really, yeah. because you, you had spoken about wanting to watch more Rock Hudson movies. So we did do that last week. Yes. We watched exactly. Seconds and yes. we covered Seconds starring Rock Hudson last week. But 
yeah, because you'd kind of been bringing up from here to eternity a couple of times and you know as a movie you hadn't seen and and really and it's one i hadn't seen either you know a pretty massive movie like i said that um was a notable gap on on my old movie watching so naturally would want to cover it for the show yeah i think i just said to you yes absolutely let's just do from here to eternity because it would be nice to do something that is you know, a, a very big name movie, um, as opposed to somewhat small. I mean, we say small; they're not tiny movies, are no, they? No, but... but you know, we you know, our whole motto comes out of the idea of us watching films that maybe not a lot of people have heard of, um, or general movie watchers have heard of. Um, but this is a big name one. This this clip of them kissing on the beach literally pops up on so many movies and yeah. so many rom coms where you have a sad character alone, watch flipping through channels, and this scene comes up and reminds them of their sad life. Like I said, this scene appeared in Dawson's Creek and was put on this pedestal as the perfect movie kiss. Uh, think of Muddy, the, the Nutty Professor. He's watching the scene and has a whole dream sequence based around this scene. So, yeah. You know, we have even things like Shrek, like, you know. It is, kind it's of, parodied kind of in Shrek and, 2. Yes, so uh, a very popular scene uh, making this movie just part of the pop culture and film lexicon. And we rarely kind of do movies that are, you know, of this era that are that well known. Um, so I like no, to kind of do that from time to time for us to finally discover these you know, it's still a discovery to us, but it's a big name movie. And so it's finally great to kind of put a story and actors and characters to this one scene that I've seen a billion times and really flesh out what this movie even is and about and really appreciate it for, you know, its part in classic film. Absolutely. And we will be here doing all <laughs> of that today. Yes. Now let's call it what it is. <laughs> The scene in question, Burt Lancaster and Deborah Carr kissing on the beach, the waves come up and crash into them and they just carry on rolling around with each yes. other, is a stunningly impressive kissing scene. Yes. It's, it is the perfect old Hollywood kiss. It just happens to come in what, yes, admittedly, is partially a romance movie, but is mostly a war melodrama. Yes, it's like a Pearl Harbor movie. <laughs> like what? Where did Pearl it, Harbor come from? <laughs> it's it's surprising even to me how big. I mean, I I know I I'm I may be bigging up my own knowledge of old movies at this point. Obviously, I'm not a complete novice. You know, these days. Um, but there's still notable gaps, like I said, a notable gap being this movie that I'm very, very thankful has now been filled. Um, but admittedly, I never knew much about From Here to Eternity either, aside from kind of, I think maybe aside from the, the, the fact that it was the movie that won Frank Sinatra, his Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Yeah, so aside from like who was in it, I I didn't really know really what the movie was. So yeah, when obviously watching it and, and discovering and kind of finding out that it quite strikingly for the final sort of 20 minutes 
turns into the attack on Pearl Harbor, obviously, you're kind of, you know, you've watched the rest of the movie. You've got really invested in the human drama, really invested in the interpersonal relationships, the melodrama, the, the kind of high-stakes melodrama, the romances that are all involved, the complex characters that you're dealing with. You kind of, you you are, you don't want the attack to then happen. You're thinking, oh God, oh, this is what this is now. Yeah. This is this is now the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, what a disappointment. I was getting so into <laughs> all the human drama. Yeah. Um how how very interruptive of the attack on Pearl Harbor to, to do this to this movie. That's obviously the point. That's obviously what it's yeah. supposed to feel like and is incredibly effective in that. And to be perfectly honest with you is probably a massive reason this movie you know cleans up at the 1954 yeah because it has all of the elements that you want from a movie like this you have this wartime element that people can kind of relate to and relate back to um and then this big epic romance that people love to see on screen so um it had everything kind of going for it in terms of oscar type of um yeah know, wants um but yes like i didn't even know montgomery clift was in this movie uh you know i like to refer to her think of her as the pseudo mother of this channel uh because of our our namesake movie uh donna reed being in this movie yes yeah <laughs> you know her and, and jimmy are like the pseudo parents of our channel <laughs> um, uh, i've never thought of them as that but y by all means you know, do think of, of our them namesake as, as movie um but yeah so like i had no clue what i was getting into with this film and so i just wanted to correct myself so if anyone listened yes. to last week's episode on seconds and was wondering why i kept talking about from here to eternity it's because i am an idiot so <laughs> well the, it is all about discovery this show is all about yes i was missing it's all about uh discovering new old movies yeah that is the point of it's a wonderful podcast that is why we are here before we get in to our main discussion on from here to eternity in all its gloriousness we do have to do one thing first janine and that is say a big thank you to all our patrons of it's a wonderful podcast we love them all dearly if you would like to join them uh, go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one um, we would be most grateful for your generous support. Uh, there is a link in the description of this episode, um, as well as a donation link too, if you do, maybe don't want to join the Patreon proper, but want to support us in some way. Uh, that donation link is there as well. But let's start by saying a big thank you to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. And thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Freel. Thank you, Ferris Muthano. Thank you to Janine's big brother, Justin, 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Steve, Movie Fenobi. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Fies. Thank you to Delisha Butler. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape channel. Thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you to Billy Polham. Yes. Okay. 
Janine from here to eternity. I said, winner of eight Academy Awards. Those were Best Picture for 1953. Frank Sinatra won Best Supporting Actor. Donna Reed won Best Supporting Actress. Fred Zinnemann won Best Director. I love Fred Zinnemann. I think Fred Zinnemann's such a phenomenal, phenomenally tight, efficient director. I love his work so much. And given that this movie has so much going on, it's this ensemble of, you know, five or six really top-level name actors playing top characters. Yeah. The balance is so efficient, and it does not waste a second, and I always love Fred Zinnemann movies for doing that. It won the best screenplay. It won best cinematography. Columbia's great cinematographer of a lot of noir movies, Bernard Guffey, winning for that. And it won best sound recording and best film editing as well. Um, pretty much everything else was nominated. Um, Deborah Carr was nominated as leading That's actress, but thing. of course, Deborah yeah. Carr famously unfortunate at the Academy Awards. Yes. And Monty Clift and Burt Lancaster, who obviously Burt Lancaster is a show favourite. Monty Clift came onto the show in his show debut for Suddenly Last Summer, from 1959, which we didn't cover that long ago. And uh, I want to get into a little bit of a discussion about how uh, I almost feel that that movie was a poor Monty Clift movie. Yeah, to start. a disservice to his kickoff on our show. <laughs> yeah, as, as great as the movie was, as great as the movie was, I, I, um, I almost feel like now I've got the full picture of Monty yes, Clift. Yes, and his, his talent and why he's, he, you know was a known name yes <clears throat> but obviously when you get two um people fighting for best actor or, or best anything from the same movie they're likely to cancel each other out yeah. so neither of them ended up winning yeah um and mr sinatra and miss reed won their supporting ones so yeah i mean it cleans up it's a very very famous movie janine does it deserve all those accolades? Uh, I think it does. I mean, even the nominations of the two leading men, I think they did a great job here. I feel like Montgomery Cliff did a little bit more, or had more to do. Than, 100%. I mean, than, as much as we love Burt Lancaster, and we do, we do love Burt Lancaster. We always love Burt Lancaster. He really is a show favorite. But he, out of all our leading five, Maybe all our leading five, actually. I suppose that's maybe not true. Perhaps Donna Reed has the least, least amount to do. to do. She kind of is given it at the end a little bit when she's like begging Montgomery Cliff to yes. stay. That's kind of yes. her most maybe prevalent scene where she can really do something. But um, other than that, yeah, I don't know that she did as much as everyone else uh, in terms of, you know, nomination status. Or maybe I'm just in this mindset because perhaps Burt Lancaster's character is just a little bit more sure-headed than the rest of them. But, yeah. You know, the rest of them are kind of a bit messy. But and... I think also with, like, he knows what he wants. He knows he likes where he's at. Um, even though he shows skill of being able to do, <clears throat> kind of because he has this whole thing of, 
um, his whole love affair with um, with uh, Deborah Carr is an affair. Uh, yes. And she wants him to become an officer so they can be together, but he does not want to, you know, get to that rank. He likes where he's at. And despite loving her, like, it's just not in him to do that. He like he wants and I to continue. stay where he is. And, I, but, but yeah, we can... see themes of him taking authority and being very um, in charge of things and knowing what to do in difficult situations and, and knowing when to shirk off orders you know, for the greater good of what just needs to get done. So he shows all of these attributes and skills and moments where he could be really great and successful in that role of an officer. But for him personally, he just doesn't want that responsibility, doesn't want to have to be in charge of more than he has to be in charge of. He wants to be able to kind of be able to navigate decisions, you know, on the level that he's at. So I think that's kind of where he really has to play both sides of that being competent at at higher than his rank but this really just desire to not want to get to that rank yeah and in no area of this movie is he better at showing his competence at doing that than when the attack on pearl harbor does begin and he has to quickly rally all of his men yeah and set them on certain tasks and he's so he commands so much respect he leaps himself up on this table and just starts kind of directing orders at everybody yes. it is phenomenal to watch just the instant impact of, of, of this of this man you know who's for the for, for all of the movie has been telling us I don't want to be an authority figure. I don't want to be an officer. I, I don't need that. He's also admittedly been working under because he's the sergeant and the, you know, so he's kind of number two, really, in this yeah. platoon, I suppose, of, of what it is or, or group. Or I don't really know military terms. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not phenomenal on that. I don't even particularly, I'm not even, never even been the biggest fan of. Uh, war movies of of you know world war ii movies necessarily there's a certain few that i really do enjoy i happen to think this style of war movie is perhaps a favored style of war movie for yeah me. much and more character focused like something like yeah, bridge on the river kwai exactly it's the war happening in the background to what we're actually focused on in the movie, which is the human element, the characters involved, the actual individuals, the people, and their relationships with each other. That's what I enjoy. Certainly what I enjoy about, say, the bridge on the River Kwai, for instance, um, and definitely what I really, really enjoyed about From Here to Eternity, where, where the movie excels, really. But Burt Lancaster's playing the sergeant. He's underneath the captain, um, who is the officer who is married to Deborah Carr, who Burt Lancaster's obviously having this affair with. So yeah. he, you know, he, he clearly doesn't have massive respect for the guy. 
you know. And we see how the guy treats who, him. He pawns off his work to go have yeah, affairs. Yeah, the, the guy's not a yeah. he's not a good guy. He's a no, bit of a he, moochy guy. Yeah, he you know he's constantly having these affairs. He's you know he seemingly leaves his post and his duty and puts all his paperwork and things like that on to Burt Lancaster to do all the kind of grunt work that he doesn't want to do to seemingly go off and and just hook up with people and do whatever he wants to do and have a little fun. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's telling Burt Lancaster, you should have a little fun every now and again, you know? So um, he does. So Burt Lancaster yeah. does go and have a little fun with his wife. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, so and yeah, you thus, don't really... Thus making much... one of movies great kisses. <laughs> yeah, so they kind of set up, you know, this. they set, like, generally in the populace and pop culture this kiss has been this big romantic thing but i don't think people even realize that this kiss is two people having an affair <laughs> yeah and but kind of like having it because they've seen the guy who's would normally be the the i don't know would you say victim of the affair also go off and do all these kind of t he's not a good officer no. at all this man so yeah and, and i love how deborah kerr plays it so i'm so sad that like she did not win for this because she really has to convey a lot and we have to kind of sympathize with her so we're not really judging these people too harshly because they're kind of giving each other something that they need um yeah they really with, are you know kind of stripping away the malicious nature of it because it's very much a genuine rom romance that they do have absolutely um and she very much i think she she prejudges herself kind of before he can because i think she's already you know she already feels some guilt about what she's doing even though her situation is terrible she knows her husband is having these affairs and he doesn't really love her all of these things that he treats her terribly um but she still kind of, you know, has this guilt about it to where she can kind of joke about having this affair. But then when she really thinks too seriously about it, she starts to kind of think he's judging her or says something to judge yeah. herself before he can. And it's that's what Kyle kind of start fight start between the two of them because she's yeah. constantly thinks that he sees her as some kind of slut because I think another man had told her, oh, yeah, well, she hooked up with me, too, you know and all of this and hooked up with all these guys so i know it's true that you know this and that so when he kind of mentions some line and tries to get get quite answers about you know have you been kind of hooking up with other guys and da, 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 it's not from a place to judge her it's from a place of well how am i any different do i mean something to you or is this kind of just what you do so it's not from a place of judging her it's really just kind of a place of him trying to find out his standing with her because he actually does genuinely care about her yeah and this might be why she's kind of almost insistent that Burt Lancaster try and become an officer because to, like, this legitimizes the relationship. Exactly, yeah. it's it's legitimizing it. It's you know then of a certain standing where we could be accepted as this thing, and it would all be okay. It's like it doesn't really make any difference, or at least I'm sat there going, it's not going to make any difference, Deborah Carr. You know, yeah. why? What di I don't understand what difference this makes. You need to just kind of realize that this is actually probably good for both of you. Um, yeah. and, and the best way for both of you, because you don't want to be with this captain dude. He's not good. And no, he's not, she he's not even nice to you. Yeah, and she and she does reveal kind of the worst thing that kind of really killed their relationship and makes it so easy for her to kind of find other men to to, you know, give her something that this man is not giving her and and that's the fact that, you know, 
she kind of briefly mentions that this is a home with no kids and kind of alludes to that's a reason why their relationship isn't good. Um, but she doesn't say more than that until this moment when she feels like he's judging her. And yeah. so she explains why her husband's so awful and why she maybe ran into the arms of other men because you know, she found out that he was having all these affairs and she was pregnant and she felt like she was losing the baby and she needed to see a doctor. And when he came home, you know, from being with somebody else, um, he was too drunk to call a doctor for her or take her to the yeah. hospital. And then the, she ultimately miscarried and lost the child because of him. And then ultimately they go to the hospital, they do surgery. And now it, because of this situation, she can no longer even have children. And that's all because of this terrible man, just, you know, hooking up with other women, getting wasted and not being able to take care of her. So there is, there is a, a, a darkness and certainly a you know kind of character complexity not necessarily character complexity um almost certainly for the time should we say controversial nature to topics or, or a topical complexity yeah that is within this movie that i did not expect to be in this movie i did not think this movie would you know get to a more familiar to me noirish level of darkness <laughs> yeah. and at times it does with this situation and she she says quite frankly and directly all of these things about um miscarrying and, and all these affairs and you know that's just the that's just these two story that you know that's not a, yeah. not, a, not counting everybody else in the movie yes because then we do get all these other backstory reveals and and kind of wants and needs and desires and 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 looks into how these people view the world and what they see for their future yeah it it was just to me surprisingly topically controversial yeah idea after Mm -hmm. surprisingly topically controversial idea I really loved that about it. I thought it would be a much more straightforward movie. And I suppose that's perhaps giving the movie an outside discredit. Why would I just naturally think that? Because we have weird prejudices. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why I would naturally think that. I should have I should have thought better of the individuals involved in this movie and this yeah. movie as a whole and now thankfully um do obviously think that way i was i i loved this movie for dealing so very frankly with all these complex ideas of course this first one we've talked about being the um affairs and and, and the, the the miscarriage of burt lancaster and uh and Deborah Carr and yeah, Bert Lancaster's I mean, bringing his typical kind of quiet charm to yes, it. Yes, I mean, at first I wasn't really into how he kind of interjected himself into this situation. Um, when he goes to see the wife with papers for his boss, and you know, it's a rainy, it's a rainy evening, and he goes over there and the husband's not there, and so she invites him in and he's kind of a little too pushy but because you know 
she's receptive to once she starts kind of getting more receptive to it because she seems kind of very against it but i feel like she's only acting that way to put on this show that okay at least i tried kind of thing especially yeah. when you see all the kind of shame that she feels an embarrassment for you know people judging her or her even kind of judging herself in a lot of ways um so when he kind of was a little too pushy about getting in there and talking to her and like you know you can make me a drink and da da da, da, da and him kind of initiating it so much um i don't know like it was kind of maybe rubbing me the wrong way a little bit um Ooh, we don't like that from both i know i know like like at first I was kind of into it because I was like, ha, hey, he's sticking it to a stupid boss. And she obviously seemed kind of flirty with him at the beginning. And um Maybe it's the know. military man in him. <laughs> yes. So I I don't know. Something about him just kind of coming in there and and kind of forcing his way in, like, hey, you can make me a drink and you could do this and da-da-da-da-da, and making it clear what he wanted. I don't know. I kind of wanted it to maybe be more mutual feeling or something. But then once she kind of opened up and was receptive to that, and we kind of already saw this kind of really shitty dynamic between her and her husband. And once I saw that she was kind of open to his advances and he wasn't being like, you know, forcing himself on her, then I was able to kind of be like, yes. okay, I can, I can yes. get into the charm. I can see his charm working on her. But at first it just felt a little smarmy to me, especially when she was kind of like really not there for it. She seemed kind of against it. Um, but then when we get kind of scenes later, that kind of takes me back to the scene and says, oh, you know, she was probably only trying to put up a little bit of a fight to to maintain some sense of propriety, which um, yes. and, and really be able to tell herself, oh, well, at least I tried to fight him off. And I, you know, I tried to do the right thing kind of thing in her in her mind, which we also get another character who very much feels like she has to put on, you know, has this obsession with looking proper and how the world views her um so yes very much, and, and yeah rather interestingly those two our two lead women in the movie end their stories in the exact same way really. yeah mm -hmm. even to the point where they're stood next to each other basically yeah. saying the same thing to each other and thinking the same thing yeah to each other um it's like it, it's like that it's very interesting given how different their two relationships are presented in the movie so let's get into that second yes. relationship i did here is I monty did, cliff <laughs> i well i did want to say i totally missed bringing up because there were two quotes from montgomery cliff that i really love from this movie and i okay. did have an opportunity what we were talking about was perfect for me to get into that and i totally okay you, yes. you said you said something right after that and i just kind of it got us on a, a an interesting track of conversation but just to get back to burt lancaster and his whole thought of not wanting to be an officer but showing all of these yes, great okay. attributes of being an officer it spoke to a line that montgomery cliff tells him there's a scene where you know they're both getting drunk in the middle of the street and and um Burt Lancaster is sharing with him that he's you know this woman that he loves wants him to be an officer but he just can't do it and uh, why should I have to do something I don't want to do but I love her and he's having this kind of conflict and confiding in Montgomery Clift about it and Montgomery Clift says to him a man should be what he can do and so he's I thought easy. you know I loved that line because I was like yeah like 
equating a man to the skills that he has. And, you know, that should be, you know, that should help inform your path. And so I really, and, and, and then, you know, throughout the movie, we see him showing all these great attributes of being this leader who could be an officer. So I thought, you know, that line and, you know, having these situations that were going to put him in that role would help change his mind. But even by the end, he still doesn't want to do that. Which no. I think was an which I think was an interesting and real choice. Like a lot of people have the aptitude to do all kinds of things, but it's just not for them. I, I um, just think I I almost I sympathize a lot with with Burt Lancaster and his choices towards the end of that movie, his choice to stay as he is. Because I can understand that mentality of knowing you're capable of stepping up when needed, but not feeling you have to have that. Yeah. Not feeling you have to have that status. You can do it. You will do it when you need to do it, but you don't want to be bogged down with the status with of the it. official status of it. So yes, when he says that line, a man should be what he can do. I loved just that thought, you know, and how he, it is an it. interesting thought. Um, equating so, yeah. a man's kind of worth to the abilities and skills he has. So he should, that should make the decision easy for you, but it still wasn't for Berlin Caster. So I just wanted to speak to that line. There will be another line that will come up now with what okay. we're talking okay. about with Montgomery okay. Clift and his relationship. Okay. Which, um, yes. Here is Monty Clift. Monty yeah. Clift in pomp, Monty Clift. And I said before, uh, let's have a little bit of a discussion about how yeah. Monty Clift was perfectly good in Suddenly Last Summer. I don't think he was the best part no. of Suddenly Last Summer. Catherine Hepburn, for me, is probably the best part of Suddenly Last Summer. It's a really wonderful movie. Um, we did cover it not that long ago on an episode of the show do go and check it out if you haven't already it's from 1959 it's great but at that time monty cliff was was dealing more heavily with his Substance shall we say in issues yes and he just felt um, like he was very much holding back in that movie you know? yeah there was there was a certain there wasn't there wasn't the natural performance that I feel in From Here to Eternity, I didn't feel that quite as much in Suddenly Last Summer. And yeah. Suddenly Last Summer was my first Monty Clift movie. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying that I wish it hadn't have been. as not, And that's not to say that he wasn't still good in the movie. That is just, I always like to do, because we do on this show so often, is discover new old movies. I like to discover the best, best of, of somebody. Yeah. first. Yeah. You know? He was so genuine in this movie and real and pained and emotional and caring and loving and so many great emotions. And it all felt like it was coming from a natural and genuine place. He felt like a real person. Um, and people and will have you believe, people will have you believe that this is a result of him being one of the you know, early proprietors of the method in acting with Brando and James Dean and everybody else. Yeah. Um, Mont Monticliffe's very much in that mold 
of of fifties actors. Yeah. Um that you know have seem to have the more or, or seem to have a less theatrical approach and a much more kind of I'm gonna get really into my own head with this character and it's gonna really benefit my role. And of course yeah. the method as a as a style has become something silly now. Um but when it was first theorized and first put into practice I've just me mentioned those three names there. You can see the level of phenomenal uh, legacy that it has yeah. um, and continues to have. And I think he's using every bit of that kind of introspective performance style in playing the role of Robert E. Lee Pruitt, which is a silly name. Yes. And that's uh, it's only a silly name because he's named after a Civil War Confederate general? Question mark. Was Robert E. Lee a Confederate? Do I not know my American Civil War? I mean, you well? probably know that more than me. Um Fair, I'm fairly do, certain he was. I do believe he was. Yes. So whatever, you know. Um Robert E. Lee was probably a Good military man. I, I, I probably, <laughs> I'll say that. I yes, don't, a I really Confederate don't general during the American Civil War. Towards the I end. really don't know. Yes. It just yeah. always sounds a little bit like, oh, Confederacy. Yes. Whenever, you, whenever you say it. Towards the but end, he's... he was appointed the overall commander of the Confederate States Army. So he was clearly very influential and clearly, clearly probably very good at what he did. So at least he's competent, right? At least yeah. we're calling that he's competent. Um, regardless, that doesn't matter. That doesn't that doesn't inform Monty Cliff's character in any way. You know. Yeah. No. Doesn't. I don't even know why I've brought it up. Um, oh, well, I mean, I think it is mentioned at the end with Donna Reed kind of equating. It is yes, and I suppose that the, the need <laughs> the need he feels to be a military man, I suppose maybe comes from his, the legacy of his, his name. Namesake, yeah. Um, but his whole story, um, even before Donna Reed kind of becomes a part of it, is the fact that he is transferred to this regiment. And uh, because he was a, a fighter, he was a boxer. And the, the uh, officer in charge, the one that we, you know, is married to Deborah Carr, the one who yes. we dislike and set up as this very deplorable person has transferred him here simply because he wants him to, you know, fight for him and, and join the, like the boxing army, boxing league, league and, and win fights um, and, and win medals for this regiment or whatever. So that's his whole kind of motivation is kind of using this guy. But because Montgomery Clift had a very tragic situation where he did have a fight and I think he like blinded somebody. Um, yeah. He has a lot of guilt, a lot of these characters dealing with guilt and, and the sense of propriety and all these things. And yeah. I feel like, you know, him maybe serving his country is very much, you know, what he wants to delve his focus into to redeem himself in some way. Yeah, he, this, feels, you know, he feels all of these characters is. are trying to do something to kind of redeem this guilt that they're going through. Um, yeah, but it's all within themselves. It's not them yeah. having to prove to anybody else. Yes, that it's they have to be good. Yes, no one is trying is trying to make them feel any kind of way about what they're doing 
or the guilt that they're feeling this is all internal and things that they feel like they need to do to absolve them of this guilt in some way. Yeah, which so, obviously makes it infinitely more interesting. Yeah. You know, as far as character is concerned. But yes, he 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 flat out refuses to to fight really to box. So yeah. he's given a torrid time. By yeah, so he's giving the, the like drill really sergeants and details. Like that. They give him really gross cleaning jobs and mess with him and almost bullying him to get him to 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 join the boxing league. It's like, yeah. you know, this can all end for you if you just, you know, come and box. But he's like, no, I I refuse. I don't want to. And they just really mess with him in order to yeah. get him to do what they want him to do. And he keeps being goaded by the rest of the boxing yeah. team as well to say, come yeah. on, we know you're good. We know you're really good. We could do with a good middleweight. I'm not fighting anymore, okay? Why? I'm not going to tell you why. It's a touchy subject, okay? Yeah, so, you know, he fights against even telling people the story until he does find himself in a vulnerable moment and he reveals that he yes, yes he does. you know you know he ran into that guy later and it was just very difficult to see what he had done and all of this so as you can um, imagine it would be um, yes. i actually think instead of joining the boxing team uh, monty cliff should have joined the pool team as he comes in and like his second scene in the movie is after he's come in and, and met burt lancaster and, and and the captain yeah um he then goes into like the, I don't know, some sort of common room area, and there's a pool table there, and we see Monty Cliff making this ridiculous trick shot pool shot, yeah. and Frank Sinatra, who why we haven't even barely mentioned Frank Sinatra yet, I do think he's wonderful in this movie. Um, we we will get on to him, um, but Frank Sinatra just goes. Oh, like get a load of this guy! <laughs> yeah, and I just found it kind of like hilarious. Um, I don't know. There's something perhaps otherworldly about Frank Sinatra. Maybe in the sense that perhaps when he's in a movie, and I think we've only covered one other Sinatra movie. And that was the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. Um, on the show. But, you know, whenever you see him in, in scenes of movies and things like that, it it takes you out of the movie, but not in a bad way. No, because I was so of, surprised you, to see him. <laughs> you just realise that, oh, look, it's Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And, and then we do like, have to You're fully invested there. in what he's doing. Yes, you're and his character. You're fully invested in what he's doing. You're, you're fully invested in his character. You're fully into whatever's going on in the movie. But you're just always just like, oh, look, it's Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And you he's get this just sense larger that, than life, I think. Yes. And they, of course, they do have to throw a scene in there where he's just like, do it up, do it up, you know, like, you know, singing a little doobity beep to beat to himself because we got to hear him do his thing. Um, and Obviously. gosh, like, I did not realize like how scrawny he was. Like, all the, these, like, when he pops up like in cartoons as like this animated version of him and they always make him like this bean pole like i get it yeah. he he was not very large no frank sinatra no. i'm actually led to believe there's a little bit of backstory with uh, mr mr frank old blue eyes as he's mm -hmm. often referred to as with this movie um 
apparently he was in a bit of a downturn in his career. Don't know what. Don't know when that ever happened. Yeah. You know, you ne you never hear about that happening. But maybe that's because of this movie, and he won his Oscar, and then yeah. kind of just rolled on from all there. The way up. Yeah. Um. Naturally, fly me to the moon. I'm not going to start singing <laughs> Frank Sinatra. I might start singing Frank Sinatra at some point. Um. But apparently, isn't this what? Uh, what's his name? Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather is based off of. Oh. Um, and and his, you know, Frank Sinatra's quote unquote mob connections. Yeah. Um, getting him the role in this movie and the kind of, you know, the horse's head in The Godfather and all that yeah. situation. Maybe that was real. What? Maybe that was a little bit of production. Blackmail is like give Frank the part. He obviously does really well. Yes, with the, with yeah, the part. no, he, he has a I'm, lot of kind of dramatic stuff to do. I'm led to believe that's a little bit of a oh, maybe it's a maybe it's a, a a movie urban legend, but maybe it's actually probably true. Mm, okay, because <laughs> Sinatra was very obvious. He he was involved with he had some type shady of New York under. Perhaps. Under things, wasn't he? Perhaps. I don't. Allegedly. I don't know why we're being <laughs> like this, as though he's, his lawyers are going to turn up now and yeah, shut us down. Defaming. <laughs> allegedly, just throw some allegedly. Allegedly, in. Yeah, yeah. Throw some. Throw some in there. Uh, throw. Th also, throw. We really like Frank Sinatra in there. Yeah. Um. Because I do. I've actually been listening to Frank Sinatra in the car oh, okay. since I watched uh, this movie. I find his voice just wonderful. And he doesn't no, sing great. like he speaks yeah. either, which is an unusual thing. He's got a different, much different singing voice to his actual speaking voice. His speaking voice is really quite boisterous, I think. Or, or at least it is in this movie. He seems to be a very kind of oddly energetic presence in this movie. He's like the best buddy to Monty Clift. He's yeah. the one who constantly looks out for Monty Clift um, when obviously the, you know, the drill sergeants and that are putting him through really tough um, training yeah. Yeah. and jobs and things like that. Frank Sinatra is the one who keeps going like, hey, no, lay off this guy. Well, he's not done anything wrong. But then he kind of gets thrown in to um, doing the tough jobs as well because yeah. he's kind of pally with Monty Clift. Um, but they end up going out on the town together. They get a bit of a pass to go out into uh, the the local town. It's all Hawaii. It's, you know, obviously, it's all very nice and tropical. Then there's this fancy members-only club that Frank Sinatra sometimes goes to, and he takes Monty Clift there. And uh, this is where we meet the, um, let's call them escorts, because that's what the movie calls them. But let's yeah. call them actually what they are and this movie's based on a book and obviously the book was rather more frank with, with this this club hires a load of prostitutes to hang out there and just entertain people yes yeah so that's where they go and i mean i, I do think frank sinatra's character um the kind of tragedy i guess of him or you know we don't get a ton of like major backstory with him but the fact that i think his whole thing is just 
he is in the army because he doesn't know what else to do. Yeah. And so that's kind of all he has. So he has this kind of cavalier attitude of wanting to go out and want to have fun because he doesn't really have anything else. Um, so but we do he see has him a, kind he of, has a very good heart. Yes. Um, but we do see him kind of struggling a little bit with that balance of just wanting to, you know, live it up, but also, you know, do what he needs to do as a military yeah. man, because that's kind of the only thing he has going for him. Uh, and um, to the point where, uh, well, at a certain point, he defies a particularly important order yeah. and goes out and just gets hammered and it turns pretty serious for him yes. you know, it, yeah. it, it really does um he gets disciplined pretty heavily um we've seen him earlier on in the movie in fact on this kind of first night out yeah. um where him he and monty cliff go to to this club donna reed is there donna reed plays one of the uh Escorts, yeah, escorts very unusual for donna reed to yeah, be playing such a, a dark haired role yes this dark haired kind of femme that he sees across the room and they kind of meet eyes and and you know strike up some conversation but it seems a little deeper than maybe what she is letting on on her end because of course she kind of definitely has to service several different people yeah. um, do we think do we think donna reed as good as she is in the movie do we think donna reed wins the oscar for simply being against type i mean i think that probably played a lot into it um, it's I also always think played a lot into why people win oscars. when yeah when they do something completely different from what we know them uh to do and I think also in the scene where she is kind of talking about, you know, uh, moving on from this life that she's living, I think that yes. also, you know, showed showed a lot from her in this movie as well. But yeah, so she he, and Monty Clift become a, an item. Of they end up really. kind of becoming a couple because, yeah, she he really starts developing true feelings for her and she's just kind of like tries to play it off like she doesn't feel anything because she's at her job and this is what she has to do and she's only doing this because she has this kind of bigger end game and goal of wanting to you know move back to her hometown and buy a little house and be a, the perfect housewife because you know she wants to be seen as proper she says that in this whole kind of monologue about you know I need to go, I want to go back to my hometown and buy a house because that's what people think is proper. I want to have a family because that's what people think is proper. Because if you're a proper person, you settle down and get married and have kids and have a nice home and be a good homemaker. And that's what I want. I've been working at this place and doing these awful, deplorable, embarrassing things to save up enough money to go and, and live this proper life um, to kind of just wash this, you know, uh, shame off of her of doing this job and being this escort so she feels like you know she can absolve herself if she just you know saves up enough to get out of this life and live this perfect proper life so she kind of yeah, gives that i mean monologue she does and there's there's just another layer we can put on to i think the greatness of this movie and the 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 intelligence i suppose of this or, or this is a story is it's epitomized with donna reed i think wanting all these supposedly normal things when she's this supposedly ab you know quote unquote abnormal woman for the yeah. time but it's all these proper you know what you should be doing um what's the world what american society thinks you should be, she doing. Should be doing and yes yeah. 
the movie the movie is set in 1941 but is this not a very kind of early 50s mentality of yeah. there being the proper american way to live yeah and really this movie i think he's saying well please don't get bogged down thinking about what everybody else thinks about you like just be you just be and like just the live best your life version of you. you exactly and i think that's the mentality that we see the most from from um burt lancaster like he's not gonna it is let, it's he's not gonna fall into this line of what lancaster. is proper and what is expected of him and what would just make his life you know fall into place when it's really not something that is right for him personally but obviously with that story as we've spoken about this that idea still does play in because it plays in from deborah carr's side yeah. And it plays into this other major relationship in the movie, your second major relationship in the movie, from Donna Reed's side. And to a point, it's from Monty Clift as well. It's, you know, what should a military man be? Um, he should be there entirely for the job. And there's outside pressure. He might not want this. He might actually want, you know, he, he might want to go with Donna Reed, but he feels like he can't. He feels like he has to stay. And obviously when the actual attack on Pearl Harbor happens in the movie, he really has that compulsion to go and fight, go and be with his regiment, you know, from no matter what. And at this yes. point, he's kind of been missing. He's been AWOL for a yes. little bit. And he has to go back out of uniform and, and unsure of where things are and it turns very very tragic but it is that idea can be put onto really all of our main characters sinatra as well because of his idea of i need to do something i'm kind of scared about what i am and but occasionally he kind of lets loose i think the movie is trying to tell you that you don't have to be so worried about what what supposedly is the correct way to be you just have to be the best thing you can be yes, the best and, version and, and of whatever be, you and want. be real so like i think also what comes out of that scene in my second line that i like from montgomery cliff comes out of that scene as well where she's talking about um where he is telling her like they've established this relationship and these feelings for each other like she's giving him a key to her place and says he can come and come over anytime and all of these things and they are a legit couple and so he's telling her that you know he loves her and he wants to marry her and she you know is finally honest with him that like no that's not what i want that will ruin my whole plans like i don't want to marry an, a military man i can't um you know that's not part of my proper life plan and uh, you know, she's saying all these different things to him and and kind of telling him that he's just a fling and he doesn't mean anything to her. And, um, Which you know, we know is a lie. Yes. And then she also and so he's kind of not really believing those things of what she's saying. And then she tells him, though, that, you know, I started this whole thing up with you and this whole relationship is because I was I was lonely. And then she kind of says, do you think I'm lying about that too? And he says, no, no one lies about being lonely. And so I loved that yeah. line that of all of the things that she said in that moment, that's the one thing he can believe because no one would, you know, lie about that because everyone I think feels that 
at some point. So yeah. I, I, I just like that he was able to kind of pull that one thing of all of the lies she was kind of telling or all the things that he didn't believe that she was saying. But that was the one thing he could pull as truth because he knows that is something that like all people have felt on some level. So so I like that is, line there too. Is a, yeah. There is a, a, a real melancholy that kind of seeps throughout the movie. Um, that's not to say that it's a bleak movie. It's not even to say that it's, you know, a, a, a movie that leaves you in, in sheds of tears, never having, never wanting to ever watch such a distressingly depressing movie again. It's not like that. It's just a deeply emotionally impactful movie. It's a human from, movie as well. It's people giving the, in to yeah. people just giving in to what they really want. Do, people doing things that they really want to do. Yeah. That that they think is going to, you know, maybe change something, add something, take something away that they don't want to feel. They're just giving in to things that they want, you know, and and coming to the realization of the things that they want. I think ultimately. Yeah. Montgomery Cliff realizes that he wants to be with his regiment, that he wants to fight, that he is a military man, and that's what's most important to him. Burt Lancaster realizes that despite having this potential love and relationship and to be happy with this woman, but I can't give up what I want. I don't want to be an officer. I want to be true to what I want to do. Um, Deborah Kerr kind of giving into allowing herself to have this relationship because even when she talks about being with him, she says it's different than anyone else. I've never felt this with anyone and I wasn't expecting to feel this, but I've given into having a, an actual love in my life after being kind of treated terribly for so long. I've allowed myself to feel love because I needed that in this moment. Donna Reed being, you know, giving into actually kind of potentially ruining her life plan because she you know found somebody that she wants to be with and love um but also even in general having that plan and really being steadfast and not wanting to give it up for anything and being honest yeah. at least honest about that so all these people really just having these knowing themselves well enough to know what they need in certain moments and and allowing themselves to do that so very much whether it's being seen as good or bad or whatever them yeah figuring out uh, dealing with their guilt on that and just being honest with themselves um making them feel incredibly human so i love that this is a, a wholly human story with flawed characters who can really look at themselves and and judge themselves in a lot of ways because that feels so human to do Absolutely, and I mean there is a, a a tragedy to characters, you know, to our main characters in this movie uh, as well. I think, admittedly, Burt Lancaster probably comes out of this. I'm, I'm I was going to say the happiest. However, put it in context of what's happened. The attack on Pearl Harbor's just happened, and the U.S. are fully in World War Two now. Yeah. So you're not going to be very happy. Yes, but in terms but of like interpersonal situations, he in terms you know, of made, interpersonal he made the choice to stick with what he wanted for himself. And so Yeah, you and know. he's not, you know, obviously he wishes Deborah Carr was still there with him. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Yes. And Deborah Carr wishes she, you know, she was still with him, but their own kind of self-stubbornness i suppose yes well, because um, ultimately they could have had a relationship because her husband ends up getting discharged because of people have recognized like higher ups like 
that guy's bosses have noticed that he, you know, was bullying. Was yes. bullying um, Montgomery yeah. Cliff. So they fire him and get rid of him. So he is no longer there. So he's no longer in the picture. So that opens this window. But it because does. of the it, sense it's... of propriety that Deborah Kerr has, she wa- she needs uh, Burt Lancaster to be this, you know, proper position in order yeah, to it's, make it's... their union look good to society it is tragic and that's tragic on a certain level and 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 you know but monty clift and donna reed's situation as the other relationship is tragic on a on a little bit of a different yeah. level his duty because... outweighs kind of this relationship and she begs him yes. to not go she begs him to, because what happens with frank sinatra is his whole situation of getting drunk and leaving his post um, ultimately gets him in a lot of trouble and he kind of gets imprisoned for yes. you know a, a good amount of time because of this. And a man that he had a confrontation with, played by Ernest Borgnine earlier in the film, is the person who's kind of in charge of him in the prison. And so he, he yeah, we've purposefully, not- yeah, we didn't really get into that. He purposefully attacks him, bullies him, beats him because of this earlier confrontation. So Ernest Borgnine kind of takes his rank of being in charge of Frank Sinatra a little too far. Um, so Frank Sinatra has been getting brutally beaten for weeks now. And so he ultimately ends up escaping, finding um, Montgomery Clift. And ultimately, because of the beatings he suffered from Ernest Borgnine, he dies in in, in um, Montgomery Clift's arms. And it's a whole thing. And so th- then that's what pushes Montgomery Clift to want to get revenge <laughs> and finds Ernest Borgnine. Yes. They get in a scuffle, ends up stabbing killing Ernest Borgnine and then he goes into hiding for a few days with Donna Reed and ultimately while he's in hiding no one's seen him for days no one has directly connected him to this killing of Ernest Borgnine but the Ernest Borgnine has been found um but then Pearl Harbor breaks out and that's when like even in hiding for three days and this potential in trouble for murdering somebody all that all of that is outweighed by this sense of duty. And so he runs back to go be with his regiment. Donna Reed begs him to stay. She even foregoes her own plan and says, I'll marry you. You know, I said I didn't want to marry you, but I'll marry you if you just stay. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Because if you go, you'll never come back. And he says, I have to go. I'm an, an army man. I'm a military man. I have to go with my people. And ultimately, it ends very tragic for him when he does go. Yes, I've um just for all the quick context. <laughs> no, I know. I, d- I did want to I did want to speak in it and you've phenomenally breezed th- through that there. Um I did just kind of want to get really quite yeah. into that Sinatra and Ernest Borgnine aspect because I find it really a very interesting yeah. kind of back and forth. Um what I just will say to to kind of finish up my thoughts on 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 Monty Clift is obviously when he does go back to the um the military base the attack has happened at this point everybody's kind of on edge on guard, and yeah. he's he's out of uniform it it does not it's dark end. it's like running around yeah yeah it, it does not end very happily no for monty cliff so they call for him um, to identify himself like sir identify yourself identify yourself yeah, and, and he, he doesn't, doesn't say anything. he thinks he can just sneak in and as he's running to try to get to because he heard that they're on the beach so he's trying to get to his people and so he ultimately gets shot and yes it's yeah. it's very it is like it, it did actually punch me in the gut a little bit yes it did it, it really really yeah. did and especially when burt lancaster comes over identifies 
yeah. the 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 body, as it were, mm-hmm. and it really does kind of hit you. Yeah. Oh, it really did hit me. No. And me as well, yeah. I had been emotionally invested in this movie pretty significantly. Yeah. I would have to say the movie does a really grand job of getting you pretty quickly interested and invested and feeling like you are part of these people's psyches. It really does a good job in doing that. So when something like this happens right at the very end of the movie, it it does leave me in silence for a little bit of just saying, oh, and I did. I kind of audibly went, oh, dear. And just sat there in, in, in dead silence, kind of looking at the screen going, that's kind of heavy. It's, yeah. And it really was because we, we'd just seen this power of passion from Donna Reed. Yeah. You know, it, it really does leave you yeah. feeling very, very heavy. Likewise with Sinatra. Because we've had this kind of recurring, these recurring incidents with Ernest Borgnine, there's, I think, two bar fights between the two of them, um, where Sinatra's kind of just kind of getting a little bit too overexcited with being out on the town. Ernest Borgnine's just there playing the piano. I really like Ernest Borgnine. I think Ernest Borgnine does, I mean, he's playing it, really horrible person in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But I do like him in these kind of roles. Yeah. Second supporting string. Ernest Borgnine doesn't get the credit he deserves, no. I think. And I think it's probably because you know, you can think of what's Ernest Borgnine's most famous movie? Probably Marty, right? Best yeah. picture winner in 1965. Um, but what he's also one of the least well-known best picture winners, probably Marty, right? From 1965. (laughs) Um, Ernest Borgnine's made so many movies. I think he made movies well into his 90s. Yeah, I know he was around for a long time, yeah. Ridiculously prolific career. Um, So I really do want to give him full credit, and it's not his first appearance on this show by any stretch of the imagination. There's been a good handful of Ernest Borgnine performances here. But he's kind of, what, sixth billing, maybe seventh billing in this movie or something like that. Yeah. And he's not in it a great deal, yet his character, for Sinatra's story, and because it's for Sinatra's story, it impacts on everybody else indirectly. He's so important. I mean, he's very important, obviously, to Monty Cliff's story as well. And you kind of did go over what we had those those bar fights are really intense scenes Burt Lancaster has to step in and and break one of them up to the point where we actually get a good scene here it's the first scene we get of what 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 we like about Burt Lancaster and it is that quiet intimidation yeah it's the intimidation without actually having to do anything yeah. But because he's six foot four 
and built like a gymnast. Yes. We got so much of that in Sweet Smell of Success, those very quiet intimidation things. We did. Sure. And he, he wasn't even <laughs> remotely physical in Sweet yes. Smell of Success. He is, he he is at least physical in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you get that in that in that first original bar fight, or oh, well, that second bar fight. But when, obviously, Sinatra does leave his post at this certain point later on in the movie, as you said, um, goes and gets hammered, gets put in the stockade, you know, military yeah. prison. Yeah. Just to discover that Ernest Borgnine's in charge of that place. Yeah. And then you get these, you get these indirect descriptions from other people about just how hard Sinatra's getting it. Because you don't see Sinatra then as he goes into this stockade prison. You don't see him then until his death scene. Yeah. And in his death scene, he does look like a skeleton. He mm -hmm. looks just like this battered, bruised, kind of mutilated figure of a man. Yeah. Who has clearly just been completely tortured in this place by Ernest Borgnine. Um, obviously leading Monty Cliff to go and do something fairly rash of his own. Yes, um, yeah. And that's a that's a weird little knife fight scene, by the way. I think like how's Monty Clift? How's Monty Clift? really overpowering Ernest Borgnine. Monty Clift has got to be Monty Clift isn't much bigger than Sinatra, right? Right. And that but was guess, that was know, a that was a real a mismatch. Ernest Borgnine. He's squirrely and quick, I guess. He, he is, yes. <laughs> I mean, why for, why Sinatra ever thought he could take on Ernest Borgnine? Ernest right. Borgnine's twice Sinatra's size. Yeah, exactly. Um and he's not far off that Monty Cliff size either really, but it's it's interesting because it's played that knife fight scene between Monty Clift and Ernest Borgnine is played very almost matter of factly. Like it's not, it doesn't even draw attention to the fact it's a seriously violent knife fight. It's kind of just, you're just kind of left there watching it. And there's other things going on in the background, like just around the corner of this back alley. Yeah. And you can see people moving about and going about the night and things like that. But you just have this really violent, what ends up being Dennis yeah. Borgnine's death play up right in front of you, just as though that's kind of a normal thing to happen. And that's kind of, I thought that was a really interesting way of doing it. It didn't yeah. draw attention to itself. Yeah. Um, but obviously he's very key for maybe, for maybe, happens. and maybe that's just because, maybe I like that because it doesn't feel exploitative. Um, and it's just kind of, yeah, this is this, this is happening is now. Like this this happen, is just yeah. one. This is just one fairly dramatic thing that happens in this constantly dramatic movie. Yeah. Um, which obviously leads Monty Cliff to to go AWOL, and we know what happens from there. Sinatra's death scene because. It is in Monty Cliff's arms, though, and Burt Lancaster's obviously there as well. It, uh, you know, give credit to Sinatra. He he delivers a gut punch of his own. There. Yes, and he's still trying to kind of have that humor that he, we've seen him have throughout the film. Um, a little bit there in 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 his death scene, 
uh, you know, really talking up how he did his best to stand up to Ernest Borgnine and, you know, spit in his face and that kind of thing. And yeah, uh, yeah it's very emotional. Like, sure you did, Frank. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I keep calling him Frank. His name's Angelo Maggio in the movie. Yeah. He's just the most Italian name you could possibly think of, I think. But it comes from a cat. He's the book. He's a book. Yeah. So, you know. It fits really, doesn't it? Um, but no, it, it does. It, it's kind of it's the first gut punch before I think the big one with Monty Clift yeah. later on. But that comes in the wider context of it now being actual wartime and not just yeah. pre-war time, I guess. Or or it's war in Europe, but it's not here yet. You yeah. know, it's, that's what we're in. In uh, as far as the war's concerned, in from here to eternity. But what a a deeply layered, human story, hugely dramatic, yeah. and magnificently balanced melodrama that it really is. I mean, what happened that movies like this are just became not the biggest movies of the year? You know. Yeah. Why can't you have why can't you have first class top tier ensemble melodramas anymore that are just this watchable and this you know this really engaging this impactful this emotional and this wonderful you don't get yeah. them anymore. Yeah. This is why I said at the beginning this is an epitome of what people think of when they think old hollywood movie yes i'm glad i got so much more context uh, beyond the the famous kiss because it's like i'm thinking this movie is this sweeping romance story because that's all i've ever seen of this movie is that beach kiss which is beautiful it's a tragic it's shot. It's gorgeous and all of that but yeah going into it knowing that you know not knowing that it's going to be this tragic situation this affair um and then dealing with all these other characters that you really get invested in and really um understand the humanity of and can relate to in so many ways and and really respect their insight on themselves and you know the self-guilt and doubt and and viewpoints that they have um is really interesting and really love seeing a bunch of gray characters that just feel very human um so i was not expecting any of that from this movie no and it was really great no. to see so I, I really enjoyed it and i'm glad i got educated that it is in fact bert not rock. <laughs> Not rock. Rock Hudson is nowhere to be no. seen. No. Rock Hudson <laughs> is really, he's probably five. I mean, is it easy to confuse Rock Hudson with Burt Lancaster? I would say there's probably, what, eight years between their primes, maybe. Maybe yeah. Rock Hudson's primes are around 1960-ish, early 60s, maybe. Yeah. But Lancaster's prime may be around here, maybe around early 50s, um, maybe 10 years between their primes. They are both tall, handsome men. You are yeah. right in thinking that. Tall, handsome, white And just, just men. the, you know, the kissing, like, it's hard to tell. Like, you know, you're not seeing it. But, uh, to be fair, Rock Hudson does also occasionally like wearing very tight uh, swim shorts. shorts. Yeah, those were tiny, Which Burt Lancaster tiny. definitely does wear yes. in that particular scene. They're very small. Yeah. Why are they so small? 
You're not feeling a bit self-conscious, Bert, or are you flaunting? No, he something? shouldn't. Uh, he should not feel self-conscious about it. Why was he flaunt? Was he flaunting something? I didn't notice Bert Lancaster flaunting anything in this particular. Scene. I'm just saying he's very nice, athletic-looking build. I don't think he needs. He is to... a ridiculously well-built man. Yes, I don't think he needs to worry at this particular about feeling time. self-conscious. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't so well-built in the mid '70s, for instance. But he he yeah. was he was in the early '50s. <laughs> yes. He was a former gymnast or a former, like, trapeze artist or something like that, wasn't he? So, there we go. Wow. It took a lot out of us. Yes, man. This was a big one. And, you know, we rarely do the big ones as of late, so. Yes. It was great to do. Let's do more. Let's do more of the big ones. Occasionally. Sometimes. Maybe, Maybe now. Maybe next week. Maybe yes. for a little while, and then we'll go back to normal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we enjoy getting on tr- trains of of uh, tracks, tracks of trains. I don't know what I'm saying. Anymore. <laughs> yes, train tracks, tracks. trains. Yeah, <laughs> train tracks. Bert Lancaster's got a movie called The Train. Actually, <laughs> oh. we could do that. Um, <laughs> we could. There's an option. We like Bert Lancaster. No, move away from Bert Lancaster. You're always talking about. We Bert talk Lancaster about him quite a bit. Podcast. Yes. <laughs> Different things, different things, but potentially equally as enormous things that this was from here to eternity, 1953 winner of eight Academy Awards. Fred Zinnemann, wonderful direction here. Burt Lancaster, Monty Clift, Deborah Carr, Donna Reed, Frank Sinatra, and yes, let's give Ernest Borgnine a good sixth (laughs) billing credit for us, even though he's not that actually in the credits he is in our hearts Janine. yes six nobody <laughs> nobody flaunts a gap tooth like ernest borgnine no, by the way not. i don't think anybody's <laughs> ever looked as good <laughs> with, with a gap tooth ernest borgnine of course famously handsome as we know yes. um doesn't at all look like a six foot two frog. <laughs> he does. Oh, that's no. what he looks like. I think that's oh, what he looks he like. Does. I know bit. that's insulting. I know that's insulting. I'm aware that that's not a very nice thing <laughs> to say. That is not nice. It's not nice. <laughs> I really do like him, though. I've just ta- I've just spoke about how much I do yes. like Ernest Borgnine. But yes, there we go. From here to eternity. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. It has been episode 277 of this show. It is not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed, as of course, at the very least, Morgan hasn't seen, is there every single Wednesday where Janine likes to force me to watch things I have never seen. We finished our fringe Marvel movie series this Wednesday with a double feature of Ben Affleck's Daredevil, and Jennifer Garner's Electra from 2003 and 2005. How very exciting that was, Jenny. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, we also, of course, have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, go and subscribe. Ding your notification bells over there for all the fun stuff we do. Have plenty of great things we have over on the YouTube channel. And, of, uh, of course plenty more things to come on this podcast feed subscribe here wherever you do listen 
to your podcast for, at the very least, Morgan Hasn't Seen Every Wednesday and this show, the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, celebrating old movies, discovering new old movies every single Friday here. We spoke about the Patreon and donation links before in the description. There is also social media links as well, but you can find us on Twitter because that's still its name and it's just what people refer to it as. At It's a Wonderful One, you can find me on Twitter at the Purple Don with a three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is a magic number. On Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Don, all your eternal stuff is where. <laughs> you can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter. Janine Debean on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. And mm. if you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can check the link in the description or just search Is a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. One thing left to do, Janine. I mean, I did say I was going to sing, but... Yes, you did. Hmm. I've, why have I just remembered that now? I'm so annoyed with myself. You <laughs> I would never remember it at all. To, I would have asked you to do a Frank Sinatra impression. Nope, it's all on I'm you. Now I'm going to have to try and sing 3, 2, 1 in a Frank Sinatra voice. I can't do that. One, get croony. 3, 2, 1. <laughs> My way. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>